Uh, This morning, our scripture reading comes from an Old Testament and a New Testament passage. Uh, First, Exodus chapter 17, 1 through 7, and then John chapter 7, 37 through 39. So if you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you. You should reach out and turn to those pages. John 7 is on, on page 8. 93. So Exodus 17, 1 through 7, John chapter 7. This morning we are blessed to have a visiting uh, preacher here, Greg Norfleet and his wife Cindy. They're in the Chapel Hill area. They have two sons, uh, Evan and Nathan. And Evan uh, graduated from Furman University and Nathan is at Furman University. So they have raised two very fine young men, I have to say, as a Furman grad. Uh, oddly enough, uh, Greg and I got reconnected here a few months ago, and we were remembering when Greg actually preached at Christ Community Church, and probably none of you remember it because it was 17 years ago, 16, 17 years ago, and it was when we were in the gym at uh, Temple Baptist Activity Center, and I was just sort of getting used to preaching, and we didn't have any other staff, and we needed somebody to come in and preach, and uh, one person knew Greg, and so you guys came down, and it's hard to believe. Now, here you're back. It's probably fun for you to be in this congregation uh, and see the difference. So we're glad that you're here. Greg actually was on staff at a church called Church of the Good Shepherd. It's a pretty large PCA church in the Durham area. And then uh, after he preached here, and just coincidentally, he and another pastor founded a church in Chapel Hill called Christ Community Church. So... Some strange uh, coincidence there. He has his doctorate of ministry and counseling, really a gracious man and a capable expositor of the scripture. So we're glad you're here today. Let's stand together as we read these two passages, Exodus 17 and John chapter 7. We're going to begin with Exodus 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of Zin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why do you bring us up out of Egypt to kill our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and let him who believes in me drink. As the scriptures have said, out of, this, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this, he said, about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. 
You may be seated, and let's take a few moments to reflect on God's Word. Well, it's great to be with you all this morning. I do remember that morning long ago uh, when we had the opportunity to worship with you the first time, and what a pleasure to be able to be with you again this morning. Cindy and I have had the opportunity to meet a number of you, and you've been so kind and gracious, and we appreciate the warm welcome. And thank you, Paul, and to the elders for uh, giving us the opportunity to, to worship with you. I, um, I have a little bit of a history here in Wilmington. Uh, it's been so exciting to see, since that first time we were with you, to see what God has done over so many years. And uh, we have a, a bit of a connection here in, in Wilmington, the Wrightsville Beach area. I actually grew up in uh, coming to Wrightsville Beach. My dad was an anesthesiologist, and they would have the annual anesthesiologist retreat at the Blockade Runner. And, and uh, so his best friend lived in Wilmington. We made our way. And so it's great to come back, and it was uh, beautiful to wake up this morning and look out and see the, the sun uh, come up over the beach uh, down at the cottage at Wrightsville Beach where we're staying. My sister actually uh, married a, a man whose parents have a, a cottage there on the beach, and so we had the opportunity to stay there. And my sisters actually still have some, some connections here, so we actually keep my dad's old boat uh, here nearby. Uh, it's actually uh, up in the hangar at uh, Atlantic uh, Marina. And I say that because I wanted to tell you a secret if you promise that you won't tell anybody. A few years ago, uh, I took the boat out. The name of the boat was called Intubate. My dad intubated people for, uh, uh, as a way of life, and, and he actually liked to fish as well, so it had a significant meaning. But the last time I used the Intubate, it was low on gas. I decided rather than uh, fill it up at the dock, I would put it on the trailer, which I did, took it to the, uh, to the gas station. And uh, it was low on gas, and I took the nozzle and put it in the hole and just kind of lean back, I could hear the gas hitting the bottom. I thought, man, it must have been really low on gas. And then my eyes got big and wide, and I thought, no, I didn't. Yes, I did. I put the nozzle in the holder where you put your fishing rods can you believe it? Please don't tell anyone. We'd like to come back to Wilmington. And I thought, oh, I turned around and there's two inches of gas in the back of the intubate. I couldn't believe it. Don't tell anybody. But I tell you that because when you are low on fuel, when you are running on empty, you have got to know how to connect the power to the gas lines. It's the same way in life. When you're running on empty, when you're thirsty, you have got to learn how to connect the riches of Jesus Christ with the realities of your life. And that's what this morning's passage is all about. Let's take a look at it. Let me pray for us as we, uh, as we take a look at it. Father, your word gives light. The unfolding of your word gives light. Turn to us and be gracious to us, as is your way with those who love your name. Open the eyes of our hearts in order that we might know the hope to which you have called us, the inheritance that you have made us for yourself and the surpassing greatness of your power toward us who believe. We pray that you would do that now in a fresh way. 
In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. I want to look at it briefly in three parts. First of all, we'll look at the occasion. Secondly, we'll consider the proclamation. And thirdly, we'll conclude with John's own interpretation. First of all, consider with me the occasion. Verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day. Now, this is the Feast of Tabernacles. You can read about it as God instituted this feast in Leviticus chapter 23. By our calendar, it happens in about mid-October. It was a week-long feast in the fall. And it was a feast of thanksgiving. It was a feast of great joy where God's people came to Jerusalem and to give thanks to God for sending the rain to bring forth the harvest to produce the grapes and the olives. But it was so much more. It was a feast that on the one hand looked back to God's saving work in the past and on the other hand it was a feast that looked forward to a greater salvation that God promised to bring to his people. And it was a feast that was filled with vivid imagery of three types. First of all, the people came to Jerusalem and they camped in little huts. They would take myrtle branches and olive branches and they would build these little huts. And all throughout Jerusalem, you had all of these happy campers. For one week, they're living in these tiny little huts. It was a signpost that taught God's people, I want you to look back and I want you to remember the exodus When I brought you out of Egypt and I pitched my tent among you to dwell with you. But I want you not only to look back, but I want you to look forward because the day is coming when I'll dwell with you forever. I'll pitch my tent among you in a new way. Secondly, the people came daily to the temple. The temple, as you read about it in the Old Testament... The descriptions are so rich and vivid. It's this this picture of God's dwelling place. It's this vivid reminder of what Eden was like, the great garden into which God placed his people. So it, it was a signpost that pointed God's people back. Remember your entrance into the promised land, this foretaste that I'm taking you back to Eden. But it was also a signpost that pointed God's people to the future to let them know that the day is coming when I'm going to give you a better entrance. A new day is coming when I will lead you back into a better and greater Eden. But there was a third signpost. The high priest would lead God's people through this dramatic liturgy every day. For seven days, the great high priest would lead this procession of God's people. He would take a pitcher in his hand and he would march his way down with the people following and he would go down to the pool of Siloam and he would dip his pitcher into the pool of Siloam and then he would lead God's people in a procession back to the temple. And as he's leading this procession, God's people were shouting, lift up your hand. And the priest would pour the pitcher of water to the east and a pitcher of wine to the west. 
And the people would shout, quoting from Isaiah chapter 12, you will draw water with joy from the wells of salvation. This would go on for six days, this procession. And on the seventh day, the great day, the priest would do it all over again, only this time they would do it seven times. It was a signpost. God teaching his people, I want you to look back and remember the saving waters that flowed from the rock of Moses. But I want you not only to look back into the past, but I want you to look forward into the future. And I want you to anticipate the saving waters that will flow from a new temple. The prophets could could see it from a distance. It was as if they were standing on tiptoe, looking down the corridors of time. They could see the future that God promised Isaiah the prophet, waters will gush forth in the wilderness. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Zechariah the prophet, chapter 14, on that day living waters will flow from Jerusalem. Ezekiel 47 Ezekiel sees this interesting picture of the temple where it begins to leak. And he begins to see this stream flowing from the temple. And at first the waters are ankle deep. And then it begins to flow even more. And the waters become knee deep. And then waist deep. And the water flows so much that It becomes so deep that you have to swim in it. And the prophet says that everywhere the waters flow, everything lived. Because waters are flowing from a temple. That raises a question. Are you thirsty this morning? Are you thirsty? In the Bible, the metaphor, thirst is a picture of everyone who knows himself, herself, to be living in a Genesis 3 forward kind of world, a wilderness. That's where we live. And you know this. Every day we face this double trouble, and it makes us thirsty. On the one hand, evil presses against you from the outside. Our situational context these hardships that that come at us daily. It's the problem of human suffering. And you thirst for God's shelter and his comfort. But there's, on the other hand, this, this other problem, and this is the deeper problem. It seems like human suffering is the problem, but there's even a deeper problem. The Bible calls it sin living in me. And sin living in you. It's not just the hardships that surround us and press against us. It's also the problem of sin living in me that overflows from me. It's the problem of sin. And so you thirst for God's pardon. And you are grateful for that gift of mercy. But you want more. You want power to live a different way. 
Are you not thirsty? I think of, I think of the woman who grew up under a mother. And she was so demanding. Her daughter had to make A pluses throughout school or she would not get her approval. That's real suffering. I think of, I think of the spouse who will not talk to his wife and he's drifting and he's plotting to leave her. And it is extremely difficult for her. Evil pressing against her. But again, that problem of, of our struggle with sin. It's as though the Velcro loops of our circumstances meet the Velcro hooks of the deceitful di- desires in our hearts and we get entangled. I think of the young man who works at the coffee shop. And every time an attractive woman walks into the coffee shop, he struggles. Deceitful desires lead him astray. I think of the retired doctor who, who just lives for respect. And every time he doesn't get it, every time someone crosses this craving for, dis, for respect, he, he just explodes. It's the problem of sin living in me. Are you not thirsty? Do you not thirst because of your woes and your wanderings? Where will we go? Who can quench our thirst? You know, if you find yourself thirsty this morning, now's the time to lean forward and to watch carefully because there is a person sitting down who is about to stand up. Consider with me secondly the proclamation. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me, and let him who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I want you to notice two things. First of all, to the one who is thirsty, Jesus gives a command. Let the thirsty one come to me. Let the one who believes in me drink. How do we come? Not with our feet, but with our faith, with a living trust. It was this time nine years ago. It was October. And our family knew that my dad was dying of pancreatic cancer. And with each passing day, he became increasingly thirsty And he longed for a cold sip of water. And in that final week, he gave me this beautiful picture of what it means to believe on Jesus. He became so weak that we had to hold up to his mouth the glass of water close to his mouth. And all that was left for him to do was to open his mouth and to receive That's what Jesus means by coming and believing. The solution to our woes and wanderings is a relational transaction. 
It's not turning in on ourselves, looking for strength to get out of our predicament. No, it's turning out and up and looking to a living person, our Lord Jesus Christ. It's having an honest conversation. Lord Jesus, I have a need. And you're the only one who can meet it. I come to you. I'm banking on you to give me what you promised to give. I open wide to you. I'm looking to drink from you. Maybe you're exploring Christianity. This is how the Christian life begins. I have a need and you can meet it. And so I come to you, Lord Jesus. Give what you promise. I'm trusting you. And notice you're not, you're not working to earn a wage from him. You're trusting to receive a free gift from him. To anyone who's thirsty, Jesus gives this command. Come to me. Drink from me. But notice secondly, to the one who is thirsty, Jesus makes a promise. As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now there's a question here, out of whose heart comes this living water? And the Greek text actually allows for two possible translations. Interpreters are, find it challenging to know where to put the period because the original text didn't contain the punctuation. Some take the text to mean his heart refers to the believer, that is the person who comes to Jesus by faith. But here Jesus is referring to the Old Testament scriptures and the Old Testament scriptures actually never refer to the believer as the source of living water. And what is more, in John's gospel, we find this recurring pattern that Jesus has come to fulfill and to replace the Old Testament symbols. For example, Solomon built the temple as God's dwelling place in Jerusalem. But then you read in John's gospel, chapter 1 of Jesus, God became flesh and dwelt among us. That is to say, God has given Jesus as the true and final temple. We read about Moses making the bronze snake and putting it up on a pole. And anyone who was bitten by a snake and looked up to the bronze snake with faith would live. But in John chapter 3, Jesus says of himself, I must be lifted up on the cross. That everyone who looks at me and believes on me may have eternal life. Jesus comes to fulfill. Or thirdly, God sent the manna from heaven to the Israelites to feed them. But in John chapter 6, we read Jesus saying, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And you begin to see the pattern. In the same way, Jesus here comes to fulfill and to replace the Old Testament symbols that are on display at the feast. Watch closely. On the last and great day of the feast, in the midst of this dramatic liturgy, Jesus stands up and shouts, I am the fulfillment of everything that this feast commemorates and everything that this feast anticipates. Every day you look for waters of salvation. 
And every year, these waters run dry. But today is the day that you have anticipated. I am the true rock of Moses. I am the true and final temple of God. And from my heart will flow to your heart rivers of living water. So if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and let him drink from me. Are you not thirsty? What about your neighbor? What about your coworker? Is she not thirsty? Thirsty because the relentless hardships that wear us down. You know, I think about the 18-year-old fellow, such a fine fellow. And I remember having the conversation with us so thirsty for friendship. And he says, you know, I, I send my Instagram message. And it comes back unread. <sighs> Clobbered by insensitive, uncaring people. Imagine, imagine going through your high school years ignored, unread. That's hard. That hurts. I think about the 58-year-old man. He's lost his short-term memory through a procedure, heart surgery. He can't remember anything beyond five minutes ago. And imagine trying to make your way through life with a hardship like that. That's real suffering. Just a couple of examples. Are you thirsty? Is your neighbor not thirsty because of the hardships that daily wear them down? Or are you thirsty because of the deceitful desires that that trip you up and trap you? How many of us are addicted to saying yes? Because we live for the the approval of another person. I just, I'm so thirsty. I have to have your approval. And so I'll tell you yes, even when I really mean no. That hits a little close to home. Or the couple that, that, that when they communicate, they keep getting into a fight. Because he so wants to be seen in her eyes as right. And she wants to be seen in his eyes as strong. And they just collide. Because of the deceitful desires. These cravings within their hearts. Tripping them up and trapping them. Are you not thirsty? Of course we're thirsty. Where will we find water to quench our thirst? You know at best the world can offer partial relief. And we're thankful for the common grace that God gives. But at its worst, the world will peddle phony relief. 
But here, Jesus gives water that truly sustains sufferers in their hardship and truly transforms sinners because it goes deep down in their soul. We've considered the occasion. We've looked at the proclamation. Let's close with John's own interpretation. Verse 39. Now this Jesus said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Notice two things. First of all, the gift of living water is the Spirit of the living God, John tells us. But notice secondly, the way that this gift of the Spirit comes to us is through the way in which Jesus is glorified. What does John mean by that? From one perspective, Jesus was glorified on Sunday when God raised him from the dead. But from John's perspective, he sees something in Jesus that is especially glorious on Friday. Not only Sunday, but on Friday when Jesus is lifted up on the cross. You recall the scene from Exodus chapter 17 that Paul read earlier. The Israelites are traveling through the wilderness and they're grumbling against Moses and against God. And God commands Moses to take in his hand the rod of judgment. It's such a vivid scene. Moses, take the rod of judgment. And I want you to walk in front of the people. I don't want you to strike the people. Just take the rod of judgment and walk in front of the people. And Moses, I will identify myself with the rock. Don't strike the people. Take the rod of judgment and strike the rock. And he does so. And out of the rock flow rivers of living water. Are you exploring Christianity? Maybe you're hearing things like this for the first time. Or maybe you have heard this for many years. We both need to see it. Hear the good news. Jesus Christ is the true rock who receives God's judgment on the cross. The people are grumbling against God in the wilderness, testing him, saying, asking Is the Lord for us or not? Is the Lord for us? Take a long look at the one on the cross who was lifted up for you on Friday. Is the Lord for you or not? On the cross, Jesus is most glorified as the Lord who is with you and the Lord who is for you. Look at Jesus trading places with you. Among his last words were these, I thirst. He becomes the thirsty one. He's the one who is sent into the wilderness. He's the one who comes under God's curse. And because Jesus comes under God's curse, believers in Jesus come under God's blessing. 
From the death of Jesus comes the life of Jesus, the Holy Spirit of Jesus, to everyone who believes on Jesus. Are you not thirsty? Is Wilmington not thirsty? Thirsty because they are embattled with all kinds of suffering. The emerging runaway tumor. The loss of a child. The loss of a spouse. The loss of a parent. The hardship that comes upon our neighbors. It hurts. Is there any consolation for the one in suffering? And are they not thirsty because they get so easily entangled in sin? So anxious because they set their hope on something uncertain. And that worldly hope, that hope so sort of hope, sort of teeters and totters and they're afraid that it's going to be taken away or that it's going to fall down. The city is so thirsty. And Christ Community Church has this opportunity to bring this good news of the one who gives rivers of living water. This week, you're going to find yourself in the wilderness. Wednesday morning, you're going to be looking for a solution. In the fog of war, you're going to be at a fork in the road. And you're going to be tempted to to turn to something to quench your thirst. And this passage this morning reminds us that when we come to that fork in the road, we turn to the living one who actually can give what he promises. You're going to find yourself in the wilderness. You're going to find yourself thirsty. But this week, you can drink in and you can actually work out your salvation promised in this passage right when you need it, right where you need it, Right down to the details. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves are always green and is not anxious in a year of drought, for it never ceases to bear fruit. And why is that? Because Jesus has lived. And Jesus has been judged. And Jesus has been raised. And Jesus is now enthroned at the right hand of his Father. And he has received the promised Holy Spirit. And he now turns it around and gives it to you. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. And let the one who believes in me drink. From my heart, the Lord Jesus says, will flow to your heart. Rivers of living water. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word, a word of hope that kindles within us a heart of faith that we might receive what you give and work out into the details of our life what you give. We thank you for how you're doing that in most wonderful ways. I think of Cleopatra so thirsty. And yet through the ministry of Christ Community Church, to cite just one example, you are giving this church rivers of living water and they in turn are helping Cleopatra and so many more. I pray that you would strengthen my friends with power through your spirit in their inner being so that Christ might dwell in their hearts 
and that they might be rooted and grounded in your love. For the sake of your great name and for their great good, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.